0: It's this time of year that those uh, pro football players understand that it is not their skill and athleticism that will win them a position pertaining to a sport that they, they have played for some 16 or 17 years. They're always better than the rest, whether they were in Some midget football program, or whether they were in high school football or college football, they were always better than the rest. Their size and their speed set them apart. But now they're amongst the best of the best on this planet, and they come to understand it is not their speed and athleticism that shall get them a position on an NFL roster they understand that it'll be something upstairs. And the book that is laid into their hands, depending on the team, some have playbooks 600 pages, some, like the New England Patriots, have playbooks that are 2,000 pages. And they spend vast amounts of money to hire tutors, many of them former football players, And they devour the playbook. Morning, afternoon, evening, middle of the night. They devour the playbook. Because they understand that their knowledge of that playbook will make a decision pertaining to their future career. I have said to you before, as I preached on the subject of the Bible, I have said to you before, That 80% of those on a football team all have equal abilities. The 20% that are set apart are those who master the playbook. And guess how long an average football player's career is? About seven years. We have a playbook. It lasts us for a lifetime. When a child is two years of age, mom and dad begin to read stories from the playbook, the Bible. And when they're in their teens, and when they're heading off to college, and when they're in their 30s and 40s and 50s, and when they're raising families, and when all of a sudden the parents are beginning to exhibit ill health, and when a loved one dies, when a baby comes... All of the episodes of life, they have a playbook, and it is filled with the promises of God. And if the longest chapter in the Bible, 119th chapter of Psalms, if it has 150 verses in it, and 147 times David mentions the statutes, the precepts, the wills, the commands, the promises of God, Do you see how important it is? I will look at three verses this week and next week. Because I won't finish this week as I speak about the wonder of the old book. Verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. There is a distinguishing here. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. There's a distinguishing here. This past week, electricity went out in our house in this church during uh, orientation. Electricity went out all over Oak Park Avenue. And I go and I get the flashlight and it's very, very dark and I do not shine the flashlight down the hallway. I shine it running it right in front of my feet. And when I come walking over to church, I don't shine the light from my parsonage to the school building, I shine it right in front of my feet so I do not stumble and fall. And when I go down the basement steps to see if the sump pump is still working, the emergency ones, thank you, I do not shine the light all the way down to the bottom of the basement. I shine it one step after another so I do not stumble or fall Sometimes God's word is a lamp unto our feet as we take one step after another because something's going on in our life and we have no energy other than to take one step after another. Don't ask me about tomorrow with what's going on in my life right now. Don't ask me about tomorrow. I'll pray by God's grace that I make it through today. You heard it on the video It said, you open up God's Word every day. Do you brush your teeth every day? I hope so. Do you shower every day? I hope so. Do you open up God's Word every day? I hope so. On Thursday, I got a text from my family down in Texas. My brother Mark. He said, pray He said, we just took my 16-year-old daughter, Kara, who I know quite well. We just took her to the emergency room. And they've done a CAT scan. And there's a mass in her brain. And they think it's a tumor. And you just freeze when you hear that news. You just freeze. I called him. He said, I can't talk right now. I said, I'll call you later. And when I called him, he said, Paul, they're, they're 99% certain that this is a brain tumor. And we're all in so much shock, we don't know what to say. But I know God is with us. And I know that He has said to us pray over all matters. I talked with Him for some 15 minutes. I talked about John and I talked about Kara. And then before I hung up, I said, Can I have a prayer with you? I think that's the first time I've ever had a prayer with my brother over the phone. And they said, please do. And, and as I was praying, I was thinking of Psalm. I was thinking of the, the Scripture where it says, James 1.6, when you pray, do not doubt. If you doubt, you're like a wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. Don't think that God listened to your prayer if you have doubts. But as I'm praying to God and as I'm thinking about Jonathan so many years ago, And as I think about all the prayers that I sent up for John, there's doubts in my mind as I ask God, Lord, there's a 1% chance it's not a brain tumor. And even if it is a brain tumor, maybe they've caught it early and maybe she can have another 60 years on this earth. I'm uttering up that prayer. And there's doubts in my mind as I pray it. Kara was getting ready this week to start her junior year in high school. I had talked to my brother last week and his son is so excited about his senior year and Kara is so excited about her junior year. And here's all the things that I'm going to do this year. All the events I'm going to be involved in. And all of a sudden you stop. And all of a sudden God's Word is not a light unto the past of her junior year, All of a sudden, His Word is a lamp unto her feet. I don't know if I can get through the next hour, let alone my junior year in high school. I don't know if my junior year in high school is even going to happen. But Lord, I know You're there. My brother Mark and his wife Debbie and Colin and Carol, I know You're there, God. And all of a sudden, this Word... Is still all important to them, not for the lengthy process of a year, a junior year in high school, but for this moment, this hour, this day. His promises. It was 10 o'clock the next morning, and my brother called, and he said, Paul, you prayed for a miracle, and so did hundreds of other people we saw the oncologist. And the oncologist said, I've been doing this since 1995, and I've seen thousands of these masses in the brain. This is not a brain tumor. I am 99% certain this is not a brain tumor. I will not do a biopsy. There's more danger in doing that than just leaving this alone. I'll put a hole on a shunt in her brain so that the pressure is relieved and that shunt will remain in her brain for the rest of her life. But your daughter, Kara, her junior year should go fine. And the next 40, 50 years of her life should go fine. And all of a sudden, his word, which the day before, was a light unto their path. All of a sudden, his word is a light for the rest of this year and for the years to come. All of a sudden, she's saying, God, where should I go to college and what extracurricular activities should I be in and, and this, that, and the other. God's word. So, remember, Kara, in your prayers, Wednesday, 163 years ago, we started the parochial school same day church started. And when they're in that school, guess what they're going to study? This book. Guess what they studied 163 years ago on the first day of school? This book. If I told you they were using the same science curriculum they were using 163 years ago, if I told you they are using the same math book and geography book that they were using 163 years ago, you'd be pulling your kids out of that school. But if I told you the central foundation in our parochial school and others of the same nature has always been this book, The Bible. The Bible. The foundation of our lives. The promises they'll get as a pre-K three, pre-K four, kindergarten, first grade. The promises that they'll get. And when you're a child, you absorb these things like a sponge. When you get older, you're a bit, a little bit more hardened. By the time you're sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, you're already a little bit hardened. But when you're young, you soak it up like a sponge. And you know that God is real and you know His promises are true. The hymn that we sang before the sermon, that was written by Martin Luther, 500 years old. When the choirs begin their practices, you look in the hymn book, they're not a hymn that doesn't have a Bible verse connected to it when the youth group starts up, when the Sunday school starts up, when the small groups start up, there is one central foundation to everything that is studied and learned, and it is this book, the Bible. Sir Walter Scott. He was one of the most famous Scottish authors the world has ever seen. Historian, a biographer, poet, He died at age 62 back in the early part of the 1800s. And as he lay on his deathbed one hour before he died, he said to his son-in-law, I want you to read to me from the book. And his son-in-law said, what book that you wrote do you want me to read from? And he said, my books don't matter. As I'm ready to go to heaven my books do not matter. There's only one book that has ever mattered. He said to his son-in-law, Open up the Bible. Turn to Psalm 23. Read it for me. Turn to Romans 8, 31-39. Sermon from last week. Read it to me. And this great man, Sir Walter Scott, he goes after one verse after another in the Bible, having them all memorized And he says to his son-in-law, read it to me. From the pages of the Bible, 1832. And when Pastor and I visit people who are dying, we are reading the same verses that were read to Sir Walter Scott in 1832, an hour before he died. There is something about this book. Lee Strobel, he refers to the Trinity of Miracles. The three greatest miracles from the hand of God. The first one, creation. The second miracle of God, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And the third of the Trinity of Miracles, the Bible. The playbook. Physical training is of some value. But spiritual training of greater value. It holds power. For this life. For the life to come. I want to mention three things about the Bible. I'll only get one covered this week. The other two next. there is a miracle of its construction. The first thing that amazes the scholars about the Bible is the fact that it even exists. If you study the history and the origin of the Bible, you have to be in awe that the Bible is in our possession today. Consider the fact that no single man was ever given the task of publishing or writing the bible no man was given the order by god to plan the bible to publish it for human consumption there was no unified effort on the part of the 40 different authors of various books of the bible there was no unified effort on their part let's put it all together and let's make it one book the bible Great mystery of all time, how the Bible grew gradually, ponderously through the long march of centuries and dynasties and kingdoms. One man writing his fragments in Syria, another man writing his fragments in Arabia, a third man writing his portion of the Bible in Italy, another man writing in Greece, another man writing in Spain. Writers writing hundreds of years before someone else wrote. Moses beginning the process 1500 BC and it's 600 years later that David writes the psalm. And as you look at the Bible's construction, you see why theologians put it up there with the creation of the worlds, the resurrection of Jesus and the Bible itself. We read it. It was the gospel. I made sure it was the gospel for today. Luke twenty-one thirty-three: Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never pass away. The average book takes from a year to ten years to write. Any book you can think of, generally speaking, is written by one person in their own generation. But when you come to the Bible... Fifteen hundred years to write. Sixty generations of this world's history. And this is a book that is in your home, I hope not gathering dust. This is the book that every conferman picks a verse that they want as their confirmation verse for the rest of their life. This is the book where people planning their funerals. Pastor, make sure that this psalm is read. Make sure that this song is sung. Make sure that this scripture is read. This is the book. I did a wedding two days ago. Zachary's Red Barn there in Mokina. And the bride, Kristen Clay, and the groom, Brent Kinesny, She's standing there. The weather is perfect. Tears in her eyes. Tears in her father's eyes. Not because necessarily the wedding, but because mama wasn't there. Because mama passed away 18 months ago. And on the day of her wedding, all she's thinking about is her mama. And all her dad is thinking about is, her, is his wife. And the great irony... Guess what book was being held up on their wedding day? Guess what words were being read from this book? And guess what book was used 18 months ago when the family is sitting here in the front pew? Guess what book is used? Do we begin to grasp the miracle of God's Word? Listen carefully, I'm almost done. Listen carefully. We hear it all the time now. The plagues that are going through the world. COVID and all the rest. We look at the chaos and the wars. Russia, Ukraine, so many others. You look in the Bible where it talks about and the end times, pestilence will come. Wars, rumors of wars. And we sit and say, God's got to be coming soon. God's got to be coming soon. Guess how long they've been saying that? 2,000 years. When you look at the Bible, you are looking at the overwhelming patience of God. During the days of Moses, Israelites almost wiped out, standing there in front of the Red Sea, and God comes and, and Moses writes it all down. And we're talking about the Red Sea, three thousand five hundred years after it happens. David and Goliath. This happens, and he writes it down, First Samuel. And three thousand years later, we're still talking about David and Goliath. God has been through this throughout the century. And every time there was an episode in mankind's history, God had someone there. Isaiah was a prophet, Ezra was a priest, Matthew was a tax collector, Moses was a shepherd, Luke was a physician, John was a fisherman. And he said, write it down so that my people 3,000 years from now will understand that I'm a God of great patience and I'm a God of great power. Alexander the Great, how does he measure up to me? Communist China, how does he measure up to me? The people that live on this earth, the powerful ones on this earth, are they stronger than God? And throughout 1,500 years, God says, they're not stronger than me. Romans 8 all things ever since 1500 BC when Moses wrote the first words all things work together for good to those who know him love him follow him believe in him all things work together for good give me one minute Old Testament exists, well stated, God said, write it down. New Testament should not exist, why? Because the Jews were not a writing people, the Jews were oral tradition. There is only one great Jewish writer, Josephus. And Josephus was a Jew and God used him to point out the fact in secular literature that a man named Crestus lived, that he died on the cross under Pontius Pilate. Josephus, about the only Jew who ever recorded anything. Jesus never wrote a single word. Jesus didn't say, hey, we need a secretary. We need someone writing all of this down. The New Testament, where did it come from? Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit of God. John fourteen twenty-six. Jesus said, when the holy spirit comes he's going to teach you all things and he's going to bring to your remembrance everything that i've done in these last 3 years he's going to bring it to your remembrance and when he teaches you and when you remember then you are going to write it down you need further proof second peter 1:20 no prophecy of scripture ever originated in the mind of the prophet holy men of God spoke and wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. He was uh, at the funeral the other day and he heard me say, you got to look at God's promises. And he said to me, I'm terrified to open up the Bible. It's so massive. I'll never understand it. Terrified to open up the Bible. I said, go to Hobby Lobby, get a Christian devotion book. Every devotion has a Bible verse attached to it. Read the Bible verse. Read the verses before it, read the verses after, and then read what the person says in the devotion. And all of a sudden, the Bible isn't intimidating. You're just looking at a verse. And the verses before and the verses after... And all of a sudden it's not intimidating and you ask God to bless the verse that you've read on that day. Make it come alive in your life. Someone at this point would say, Pastor, would you land the plane? And so I shall. Next week, the good Lord willing, I want to talk about more of the intricacies of the Bible. Would you bow your heads? Heavenly Father, you state there in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4.20, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It is a matter of power. What power are you talking about? The creation. What power are you talking about? The resurrection of Jesus from the dead. What power are you talking about? Your word, the Bible, in the hands of mankind. Your word changed the life of Samson and the woman at Sychar's well and Zacchaeus and hundreds of others in the Bible that I'll talk about next week. Your word changed their lives. May that same word transform our lives. Thy word, sometimes a lamp unto my feet, sometimes a light unto my path. In our Savior's name,